I am Jen Wilson, author and body, mind and soul coach. Welcome to the I Am podcast, where we explore who you are. Hello, it's Jen from I Am Jen Wilson podcast and IamJenWilson.com. Today's guest is Mark from the Royston Youth Action. So I have been up there a few times teaching yoga, not recently because of COVID, um, hoping to get back sometime soon to finish our block. Um, I had put a post out on my social media asking for people that could be guests on and Sharon that he works with very kindly put his name forward and said that he had a great story and great information and great insight in the world and holy fuck. Yeah, this is one to listen to. So in today's show, we are talking about the work that Royston Youth Action does. We are talking about not liking school and choosing the path that you choose and changing career and Suicide Awareness Month. And we talk about Mark's own personal story about mental health and his his experience with suicide. We talk about the youth of today and how they are maybe misrepresented in the press and how they can do better and also that your postcode doesn't define who you are. So this is this show is amazing. Mark is a incredible human being and I was honoured to get to have that conversation with him. So tune in and as always, like it, share it. There will be somebody that you think of when you hear this, so please send them the podcast, get them to listen in to what Mark has to say and be kind to each other, which is like the underlying message ethos of today's podcast. And remember, head over to wherever you listen to your podcasts. If it allows you to write a review, write your review and subscribe so that you don't miss any future episodes. All right, check it out. So welcome to another episode of the I Am Jen Wilson podcast. I am very pleased today to have, I'm going to get this right, Mark Nikowski. Well done. <laughs> right. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Forgotten even from that quick chat before, like my brain just, other languages my brain really struggles with. Yeah. It's... It's just one of those things. So I'm very pleased to have you here. I was oh, thank you for having connected me. to you. I mean, we've met in real life. Yeah. We've done we've done yoga together. Yoga together. That's um, <laughs> the of coming together. I feel. Is it indeed? But Sharon was the one that had said from Royston Youth Action that had said when I was looking for guests, "Oh, you should definitely have Mark on." So yeah. here you are. Uh, here I am. We'll see. We'll see if that's been a good recommendation or not. But uh, yeah, thanks for having me. Absolute um, pleasure. So why don't you we not start this off then, just introducing what, who you are and what it is that you do in the world just now. Cool. So I am Mark Nikowski, which pronunciation you got fine. Um, <laughs> I am currently a youth worker at Royce Youth Action, um, which I have been at Royce Youth Action for six years in January. Um, but I, I was a chef for 18 years before I became a youth worker. Um, so I was fortunate enough that I, I loved the career I had and I travelled a bit. And then it was in 2012 
I decided that I'd had enough of cooking because my fiance and I spoke about possibly having a family, settling down. So of the personal stuff happening um, in both our lives. So I decided to leave the kitchens. Um, but I, I'm, I'm the, the kind of cliche off. I left school with no qualifications. Like I left school at 15. Knew I wanted to be a chef, went straight to college because I didn't need qualifications for it. So I left school with, with literally no qualifications at all. Yeah. It wasn't because I, I wasn't clever enough. It was just because I, I didn't like school. I hated school. Um, mm-hmm. I, I enjoyed going to school because it was a, a time to socialise with my friends and 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 get away from the house and, and do random stuff. So I, it was actually my fiance persuading me to go to college. So I went to college, got my GCSEs, um, and then I went on an access to higher education course. Mm-hmm. Passed that in 2014, and then... Uh, Went to the University of Strathclyde in 2014, um, and it was it was quite a quite a culture shock because I was a mature student yeah. at the time. I, just before I started university, we found out that Monica was pregnant. Um, so yeah, there was just a lot of different things happened at that time. So I ended up going to uni, and part of my first year, uh, I had to do a placement, a seven-hour placement. So I chose Royston Youth Action um, because I'd been volunteering at another youth organisation when I lived in Blackpool and I loved yeah. the work that Royston Youth Action did. Mm. So my seven-hour placement turned into five and a half years, <laughs> pretty much. Yeah. Um, so, so I did my seven hours and then I stayed on as a volunteer and then I was stayed on as a paid sessional worker and this led me to being involved in running an intergenerational project Um and then that led me to facilitating uh, one of your projects, the 12 Months 12 Acts of Kindness, what I'll probably talk about in more detail later. Yeah. And now it has led to me being a full-time youth worker. So it, it, was, it was crazy the way things have worked out, but it, it just goes to show you that anything is possible. You know, if, if any, somebody that says to me 10 years ago that I'd have been a youth worker, I'd have probably laughed at them. Yeah. Um, but here if I am. You said and, that you had gone to uni, would you have laughed at them? Aye. Definitely. Um, I've, I've, when when I left school, um, I'd, I'd done college. I'd done college for a year, and even though I was at Catering College, I absolutely hated it. Yeah. So when I went on to do my second year, I got offered full time work or staying on at college, um, and I jumped straight into full time work. So I thought, you know what, yeah. I, I, the experience of being a, a chef will, will time me better for the future. So. From that, I moved from job to job, and then I spent a bit of time in America working, um, and then I came back to the UK, and then I, I travelled around Europe a bit, and then I was involved in a tournament paintball, but I was still cooking sometimes to get extra money, and then I went back into the kitchens, and yeah, pre- pretty much between the age of 17 until 33, I was somewhat nomadic. I just kind of went from place to place, job to job, had no fixed abode. Yeah. So the idea even going back into education, never mind university, blew my mind. I have been like, no, no chance. That's not happening to me. Um, but yeah, so last year I graduated because I took a year out between my third year and my fourth year um, due, to, due to mental health problems I was dealing with. Yeah. Um, and then I graduated last year with a first-class honours degree, which Amazing. again, uh, yeah, it was this. Yeah, very, very proud day for myself and my family. I think my mum and dad just couldn't believe it, that their son, who had done all these crazy things in his life, was was a graduate for university, something that yeah. they never never imagined. Um, and then I had I had went back to do a master's last year, but I ended up uh, leaving the course in December. 
mm-hmm. just due to a number of different reasons. Yeah. Um, but the opportunity is still there at some point oh, to, to go back, yeah. Um, yeah. which I do hope to do sometime. I'd love to go on and do a master's um, in educational studies, which is looking at the informal, non-formal ways of similar, pretty much what we're doing in youth work. Yes. Um, and then look at going into the policy side of things. So yeah, that's that's a bit about me um, yeah. and, a, and a summary. It's amazing. I think I went back. I went back to college and university in my thirties as well. And I think that at that time I was ready because when I left school, I'd, because I was the youngest in my year, I had to stay on for fifth year and do a higher. So it was like pressure to stay there and do that. Yeah. And then I went to college and I picked my course based on um, the fact that they went on a holiday to Spain at the end of the year. <laughs> so I, I went to study travel and tourism. And then I never, my job, I worked in the travel industry like that for about 13 years, got to travel the world, got to go and do different stuff. And then decided that I needed a complete change of direction and then went back to uni. And I appreciated college and uni so much more because I, was, I had worked out who I was in the world and yeah. what direction I wanted to take when I was 16 leaving school I was like I want to do what <laughs> I was like no idea it, it's one it's one of those things that it's I mean we, we say quite a bit to the young people that there are young people who I've worked with who they know they know where they're going in life they know what they want to do yeah. there's a lot they don't and to expect a young person at the age of 14 to decide, you know, this is a career I'm going to do for the next 50 years almost in my life, I think is a bit, it's, it's almost naive to put that much pressure on, on young people. You know, as I say, there's some that they know what they want to do, they know what they're going to do, and they work hard towards that goal, but then there's a lot that, that don't. So, I mean, I knew I wanted to be a chef, uh-huh. and it wasn't until I was 33 that I decided I didn't want to cook anymore. Mm-hmm. So that that was that was 18 years of my life. I had knew what I was doing. I knew where I wanted to go. I had these plans of opening a restaurant, you know, working for myself um, to to support my family and provide my family. But then I thought I didn't want to do it. Yeah. And then I, then I was in limbo because I, I didn't know what to do. And the thing about going back old as well, um, there wasn't a great deal of support. Um, because education is still viewed as something that is only for young people or children. Whereas when yeah. it came to me deciding, even even I can, I mean, I was fortunate enough that Monica worked at the college I went to, so she could fill me in a bit more. But there's still this almost fear of going and asking questions because you are in a minority, mm-hmm. um, and that that was something I, I thought about doing as well as working with adults who were in the same position as I was and being okay. Yeah. You know, here's how you can do it. Here's the support you need. I. I I had spent 18 years writing in capital letters. Even when I was in the kitchens, I would always write in capitals. And I can remember my first day going into college and I had to write in cursive. I was lost. And it was just such a small thing. And I thought, I don't know if I'm going to be able to go back to writing in cursive with proper apostrophes and commas and punctuation because I had just written in capitals because it 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 was easy. So even something as small as that, it seems quite trivial, but it did massively affect me when I went back to college. So I had to spend days getting used to writing properly again. It was, yeah. it was mental. It's, it was pro- it's something you wouldn't even really think about, especially if no. you've already got a job and you're just like, this is just how I write. And you, once you've left school, you don't ever think. You just scroll however <laughs> you scroll. <laughs> Definitely. Um, like, and it was oh. scary. Mm. Yeah. So 
what then led you down into going to the like I know you said that you did volunteer with youth work, but what made you choose that as your subject? Um, so my degree itself, it was a joint honours in um, educational studies and creative writing, because right. I've always I've always had a thing for writing, um, and and I thought, okay, if I try and focus everything on writing, there's no guarantee that I'll get a career out of it. Um, mm-hmm. So that's why I chose the joint honours, so that way I could do the writing as a side thing for myself personally, but the education side, because I've always had a, an issue with schooling and the, the academic institutional sense of schooling, I wanted to go down the route of informal, non-formal, because I feel that young people can benefit greatly for both. Um, so, so when I went back to college and I thought, okay, I could, I could go on and do a primary education or I could do my, my honours and then get a postgrad and, and teach in secondary, um, I thought, no, you know, the, the, the degree I get can lead me down many different ways. I can, I can mm. be a tutor in a college, I can work in schools in a certain capacity, I can do youth work. And when I, when I chose my placement, I wanted to go somewhere that was almost challenging the, the status quo of schooling and that's why when I was researching and I was looking into it, Royce Youth Action based on what I've seen, what they did, how they worked with young people, you know, the, the way they challenged certain things in society, I thought, yeah, that's that's the place I want to be at. Um, so that that was the main thing, is it's kind of going against what people view as the norm. Um, yeah. I kind of looked again in the youth work, it was, it was a, a pathway I never considered. But also it's a challenge for me because people view youth workers as just being these men and women who maybe play pool with young people or take them on trips or, you know, we'll take them to the cinema, we'll play games with them. Yeah, we do those things, but there's a reason we do them. And and there's tools, that there are ways of getting to know young people, build a relationship through trust, and then you find issues, problems, inequalities, you know, social injustice that they're facing then you can map a way to work with them. It's not as teaching them, it's as working with them based on what they want to know, the strengths that they've got, and how you can work on their weaknesses to make the strengths and the weaknesses equal. And that, that in itself is a challenge, but if, if you're going to go into any form of education, then you need to be challenged. You know, that's... Look, my dog's just sitting here, Jen. Sorry, Mala. Go. <laughs> that's all right. Go to Mum, Mala. I've had many dogs come in as a guest before. <laughs> yeah, it's just because she's not used to me being in in the afternoon, so. <laughs> she's all confused. Yeah. So, Royston Youth Action is, it's based in the East End of Glad- sort of East, Royston's class is sort of northeast. Northeast, aye. Yeah. Northeast. And Royston's probably up there with one of the most deprived areas in the city. Yep. Um, it's, it's ha- things in all the areas. As I live in Springburn and I'm not aware of anything similar in the Springburn area. The, there are a few. So Springburn's actually, um, up until I think it was last year or the year before, um, yep. Springburn Community Council started um, providing youth services. And they've actually got a really good youth forum in Springburn. So they cover Springburn site how. Um, you've got St Paul's Youth Forum, which is up in the Black Hill area. Um, there are a number of organisations in the East End area. Um, mm-hmm. and pretty much the reason being is because um, 
the, 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 is high in, and I hate using the term, but it's really the only way to get it through it, is high in deprivation. That's yeah. financial deprivation, you know, um, cultural deprivation, social deprivation. And it, it's it's rife throughout. And we, as I say, we, we as an organisation don't like using the term deprivation because it, mm-hmm. it carries so many negative connotations. Um, where there are a lot of amazing families in the areas and the sense of community is unbelievable. Yeah. Um, and that is something that historically has carried over, but people don't often, especially in Royston, people don't look at Royston and think, oh, you know what, it's a great sense of community, it's a great community spirit. They look at it in the past because it is, there has such a, a history of gang violence, um, you know, violence, uh, or just troubles throughout, you know, the, and when you look beyond that, there is a great sense of community, um, especially for the children and young people. And that's in a lot of areas as well, like I say, in Blackhill, Toll Cross, Deniston. There are a number of different organisations that are doing beautiful work out there. Um, one of the biggest problems we face, though, is when it comes to funding and money for us, we're up against these other organisations because we're still... We're a charity-based organisation that relies heavily on funding out with government funding and government support. So if, if an organisation, say, for instance, a big lottery announced that they've got £30 million that they want to distribute to youth services, community development organisations throughout the country, we know that when we put in an application, we're going to be competing against another organisation that is doing just as great work as we are. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, there are some organisations that... that do fabricate their numbers, they do almost lie in applications. And that's that's morally and ethically it's wrong, but it's kind of understandable because you know that they're dependent on this money to pay for their staff so their staff can live. Yeah. So, so it is, it's, it's, it's a constant battle between ourselves with other organisations as to who can submit the best funding application to get the money to continue the work, the work that everybody with sees is necessary. You know what I mean? Um, yeah. and, and with us in terms of the, working with the young people we work with the young people for them to almost empower themselves so that they can make a difference their voices can be heard they, it's like not even based on my own experience I was trying to say to young people you know if, if, if you know for a fact you want to go to uni then we will support you you know good on you give it all but if you don't you don't need to feel pressured into going to now because there will always be opportunities for you Regardless whether you're 19, whether you're 23, whether you're 30, whether you're 40, the opportunity will always be there, you know. So, so then I just put everything in, and and you need I need to fulfil everything in these five years because that's going to see where I go for the rest of my life. No, it could, and if it does, brilliant. But if it does, nay, it's not the end of the world, you know. Yeah, and there's always other pathways to get in. Like you went yeah. back to college and did your GCSEs, and then went on, and then went on, and there's always these other pathways that when you've got an idea of how you want to get there, you will find a way. Definitely. And if you've got support, whether whether it's parents, friends, colleagues, youth workers, you know, coaches at sports club, if you've got that support in any way, then that will always make it make it easier. Um, yeah. Because you're not just shouldering all the burden, you're not just taking on all the responsibility. Mm-hmm. Ultimately, it comes down to you to, to, to study well and study hard. But it's, once you're in, that, that was the hardest thing for me was that whole pathway of getting back in because yeah. it's no easily signposted, especially for a mature student. Um, and for young people, it can be even harder. It's just it's just pamphlets of jargon. 
and stuff that they may not even be familiar with. It's just a yeah. case of maybe breaking it down in simplistic terms and, and academics he, writing yeah. stuff to teach you how to be an academic, but forgetting that you're not an academic yet. So it's, yeah, that's it. can, you, can you say this in a way that I might understand it, please? Uh, definitely, <laughs> just break it down, make it simple. You know, it, it's, yeah. make it in a simplistic way so it understands what you're trying to tell me that I need or how I, I access it up until I'm at a point where my vocabulary is developed, I can actually articulate what I'm processing in my head. Just make mm. it simple. Give me an A, B, C if need be. You know what I mean? Yeah. And and just just uh, sort it that way. So yeah. So you've been you've led up a few really good projects at Royston Youth Action. Yep. What yeah. has been your favourite one that you've done so far? Um, I'd, I'd say so. As I said last year, I was I was kind of facilitating the 12 months 12 acts of kindness project and um, that it wasn't me that came up with the idea it was actually sharon and um, sharon kelly who who you know so i'm not going to take credit for for creating that <laughs> um but what had happened was i think it was 2017 um some young people were were helping distribute clothing um to the homeless toiletry packs you know small food parcels to the homeless people and they had always seen the homeless as they were walking by the street, but because of, I suppose it's ignorance in society in general, they didn't necessarily view them as people. And when they got to speaking to them, they understood that, you know, these these men and women have went through horrible things in life, and this is what has led them to be where they are. You know, they, no one chooses to be homeless. Yeah. No one just wakes up one morning and thinks, you know what, I'm going to develop an alcohol addiction or a drug addiction, or I'm just going to self-destruct there's a lot of different things that, that that come together to get that gets a person to the point where they are homeless um, and even when they are homeless a, a lot of people that are homeless turn to alcohol and drugs because of loneliness because you've been stuck in your own head alone for 24 hours a day in the cold the the kind of the feeling you get when people are looking down on you without knowing your story yeah that's it so what, what they did is they, they spoke to Sharon and says, look, is there any chance we can maybe do something that's going to not only help the homeless, but help other charities throughout Glasgow? Mm-hmm. So that's when she came up with the 12 Months 12 Acts of Kindness. Um, that January, we'd done homeless awareness. Um, we actually had uh, James English, who had just filmed his Homeless at Christmas documentary. So we yeah. were the first people out with his production team that had seen it. He actually came in and viewed it in the youthy. Um oh. So the young people were like, right, let's look at other charities that we can help. Let's look at other organisations that we can help. How can we help them? Whether yeah. it be fundraising, whether it be bucket collecting, whether it be doing um, awareness on social media. So for the January, we, we did work with different homeless shelters in Glasgow. The young people went down to one in the East End. I can't remember the name of it. Um, sorry. And it was, right. uh, the, 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 it was St. Anne Burns Day, sorry. So they actually put on, they'd been singing songs and doing Scottish dances and helped serve the food. And yeah. the response for the, the people that were there was uh, it was unbelievable. You know, driving the minibus back, I don't think there was a dry eye in the minibus because you've seen how, again, it's that little thing made such a big impact. Um, yeah. So then that just started where we looked at different organisations and, as I say, asked how they could help. Um, so that's been going for... It's now in its third year. Amazing. And to, 
I think the big thing for me is seeing that it's the young people that are leading it. They pick the charities based on whether it's own experience, whether it's maybe a family member has dealt with something, whether it's because they feel that there's no recognition for the charities, whether there's no enough awareness. Um, and it's, it's, it's empowering to see that young people are actually that socially conscious. And this is, again, for, for an area that is apparently high in deprivation mm-hmm. and young people are being labelled. And, you know, there's a whole self-fulfilling prophecy that if you come for this postcode, then you're destined to, to, to end up living a, a less meaningful life. Shite, pardon my language, but it's a load yes. of rubbish. It is because on here, no bother. Ah, cool. Um, <laughs> and this this project, I mean, in the first year, I think the youth forum had eight members, and then thirteen. I think now we're sitting on sixteen members. It's just the youth forum. That's the young people that lead this. Yeah. And um, provide the the information to us on how they would like to help. We reach out to the organisations, and then daily years with us as well as the young people so it is completely driven by the youth forum yeah and that must just fill your heart with so oh, much it's, it's amazing it truly is amazing and it's like even so last year was the first year we'd done the walkie hope for chrissy's house yeah um so the young people had picked chrissy's house uh, for whatever reason it's as i say the reasons are entirely up to them they wanted to do work for chrissy's house so i went out and met with Anne, who's a, a incredible lady. I don't know if you've ever met her, Annie Oakley. Who, who, no, I've not met her. Uh, I, even, even maybe see about getting Anne on to do the podcast. Yeah. Cause what a lady. She's just so powerful. Didn't get me wrong. She's very direct and she's very blunt. Excuse me, but just she's such an incredible woman. Um, so I went out and spoke to Annie. And she was kind of blown away at the fact that it was the young people. She thought it was us as an organisation that were saying, well, can we do this? Because we want to promote their organisation. Yeah. It's like, no, our young people want to, to do this. So um, so we ended up doing a, a bucket collection for them as well, and then we'd done the Walkie Hope. And um, uh, it was just, it was so we took 14 young people, and this is between the ages of 12 and 18. So myself and uh, one of my, my workmates, Connor, we actually stayed over with them because we had to leave at 3 a.m. in the morning, and we knew that there was no chance that they'd be up at 3 a.m. or if they had been up at 3 a.m. it was because they had been up all night. So we ended up having a, a sleepover in the youthy. Uh, they made posters, they made placards, they made like beautiful artwork to take with us. And then when we got there, it, it was it, it was profound how powerful it was because there was people coming up to me and saying, oh, who's a group of kids? And I was explaining to them and they couldn't believe, and they're like, oh, they come for Royston. It's like, yeah, they come for Royston, you know, the Garden Guard, an area that's high in the SIMD, you know, and it's, it's apparently fairly this kind of people and these kind of people, and yeah, these, these kids who come for a G21 postcode have actually made a conscious effort to be here, to pay their respects to those who unfortunately are no longer with us through suicide and to raise awareness here, and oh, it, was, it, was, it was incredibly, incredibly powerful. Um, and then even at the end, it was it was just, it was like walking around. It, it was weird because it was obviously the walk itself and what it, what, like, what it symbolizes was, it's pretty heavy. But at the same time, it's also some form of a celebration that those who are no longer with us because of what's happened, you know, this should still be recognized and remembered. Not just because of one thing, you know what I mean? A life should never be judged just on one mistake, one act of mental fragility. 
and to see the young people actually embrace that was it was it was unbelievable. Um, I, I, everything they do, it just amazes me. You know, I was so so proud of the youth forum, the young people, what they do, not only for themselves but for others. You know, we I know I know our, our line of work. We we rely heavily on volunteers. And the young people know that, so that's why they're happy to do whatever it is. So we had a group of, I think it was 14, walked on Saturday in like a mini kilt walk because it was supposed yeah. to be, we were supposed to be doing the kilt walk in April for Scottish mm -hmm. Huntington's Association. So again, one of my workmates, his father-in-law, unfortunately passed away through Huntington's disease. Yeah. But Huntington's disease is not... Is, this isn't maybe the right wording, but it's not a mainstream disease. You know, it's not uh -huh. held up yeah. there with cancer or MS, and that's not to, to belittle any other, but Huntington's has taken nearly as many lives, um, but there's very little recognition. So even on Saturday, as I say, we had 14 young people, I think they raised 240 quid, that walked from Royston to Hugginfield Lock, round the lock and back again. I think in total it was, it was six miles. Mm -hmm. For a group of 14 young people between the ages of 12 and, and 16 to get up that early in the morning to walk for, yeah, for that length of time, to do it in the rain and the wind, yeah, that in itself is so empowering, and it, and it, 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 it's they're they're helping to break down stigmas that's attached to young people. You know, it's even yeah. demonisation in the press. If there's a group of thirty young people in Kelvin Grove Park who are maybe enjoying the summer sun, they'll not say thirty young people were enjoying the summer sun. It'll be a a, a group of thirty were rioting, causing mayhem, and Regardless whether it's one or two, it'll be the 30 that are demonised, the same that's labelled with it. Yeah. So we, for us to be able to say, you know what? Yeah, young people can be boisterous. Yeah, young people can be rowdy. But if you give them an opportunity to, to, to prove that they are great and there's greatness in them, then you'll be, be greatly, greatly overwhelmed to see yeah. how amazing they are. So for me, um, I think some of the, the stuff I've done, I, I think personally it's a 12 month, 12 acts of kindness um, yeah. because, of, because of what I've seen it can do and how powerful it is. Um, yeah. It's actually the young people that are leading it, you know. Um, yeah. when, when I was kind of facilitating it, as I say, as I was the bus driver, I would take them to wherever they wanted to be to, yeah. in order to, to do the amazing stuff that they do. Um, yeah. and, I, and I don't think they get enough recognition for that that when we tell people it's no us, we're not forcing them to do anything. They are in complete control of the power and what they want to do and how they want to do it. And they choose to do it. You know, they want to actually yeah. do it and they want to help and make a difference. And and it's not just for the young people that do it at Royston Youth Action, it's to try and break down these stigmas and tear down the, the, the social inequality that young people throughout Scotland face, especially in the West Coast. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, and t them being able to do that, and you know, you you had said at the start that you're a big advocate for supporting mental health. Doing all this kindness stuff then helps yeah. support their mental health, so it's making them more robust. Definitely. So, as they get older, they'll have these skills that they can that they'll be able to fall back on, and even if they do have mental health issues, there's that resilience has already been. Yeah. So the foundations definitely. have been laid, definitely. Yeah, totally. So, would you want to talk a little bit about your mental health journey? And yeah, no problem. Um, so I, I, I suppose for me, um, I've always had insecurities. 
But I'm also kind of, I, I was always old school in the sense that a men shouldn't shouldn't open up. You know, you you need to be resilient and you need to be tough. And and then when I when I got kind of older in life, I thought you know what, no man is an island. Everybody needs support. Everybody needs help. So first thing I kind of understood that I was struggling with mental health was in 2008. Yeah. Um, and I turned a lot to. I was never alcohol dependent, but I enjoyed drinking because it kind of took my mind away from what I was dealing with. Um, yeah. And because I was a chef, it was almost seen as the norm to, to go every night and party and get drunk and go to parties and, and live up to this kind of lifestyle, this expectancy that being a chef used to bring with it. Um, yeah. And then I, I had a point one evening where I was actually sitting um, at the window ledge at a, a fifth story floor with a bottle of vodka thing, you know what, I'm, I, I can't keep going like this. And then I managed to pull myself back in, went to sleep, woke up the next morning and thought, right, I need to, I need to make it, I need to do something here. Um, so I actually went, I packed a bag with everything that I could sell, all my possessions that could get me money, and DVDs, videos, clothes, trainers, everything. And I went and sold them to different places. And I got about 160 quid for them all. I never got much. I sold them at a cheaper price than I should have. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I stood um, at a Beverly train station and I thought, right, I can do one of two things. I can either jump in a train and go down to my mum and dad's because they live in Blackpool. Yeah. Kind of not get help and support because I didn't believe I needed counselling, but I just needed that, like some kind of assurance, some form of solidity in my life because I had been nomadic for so many years. Um, or I could just go to a pub and spend on us and get absolutely blazing drunk and then I'll be even in a worse situation tomorrow. So thankfully I jumped on a train, I went to Blackpool. Um, I'd been working in London before that, I'd, I'd been kind of coming and going. Um, and then I, I went and I, I lived with my mum and dad's for a while um, just to try and sort my head out a bit. That was when I met my, my wonderful better half. Um, <laughs> and then I kind of go back to a better place where I was feeling more confident. I was feeling more reassured than what I was doing. Um, and then I was kind of fine, but it was, it was actually three years ago. It was coming towards the end of my third year at uni and I'd been doing incredibly well, better than I ever imagined I could. Um, and I had, I had professors and doctors that were coming up and presenting me with opportunities. You know, you, if, if you, if you do this, we could look at this. You can go in and do a master's. I'd love to have you as a PhD student. You know, you're, I was doing really well, but a lot of that was doing to my own work rate because I was, yeah. I was committed to doing the best that I could. And that meant mm-hmm. spending a lot of time away from my family. It meant, meant a lot of evenings and mornings spent in the university working on assignments and reading and researching and going over and above. So at the end of my third year, I got offered the chance to do a, internship it was a paid internship with two professors um and it was to do a research paper with them which would have been uh, at the end of it, it would have been published so i would have had my name attached to an academic journal yeah <coughs> excuse me um and things didn't kind of go as i had planned because i, I felt uh, and this wasn't just me, this was after I'd spoken to other professors. I felt that because I'd kind of done so well and I went in with so much credibility that they left me to my own devices. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I'd, I'd researched for assignments. I'd never researched for an academic paper. So yeah. there was loads of wee things that I just built up and built up and built up. All these added pressures I'd kind of put in myself. And then I felt myself falling and then I fractured my ankle and my heel and this added to problems. And as I say, it was just a lot of silly wee things. They're not silly, but I viewed them as being silly. 
Yeah. And then um, Monica and Connor went to Poland for a couple of weeks during the summer, and I was here on my own. And the feeling of overwhelmed was just too much, and I kept falling further and further and further into a hole. And then it was one night I was sitting on the couch, and I, I just started crying, bursting into tears uncontrollably. Yeah. And I had never felt anything like it and then I was having thoughts like am I depressed what have I got to be depressed about you know I'm, I'm, I'm comfortable with my family I'm, I'm doing well at uni I've got a job I'm, I'm working in a, a job I love with people I love and working with amazing young people and you know it's why am I being so upset about this opportunity this internship and it was because I put so much pressure on myself yeah and then again there's this feeling of Oh, I shouldn't have put so much pressure on myself. Just carry through, get through it. You know, you'll have an academic paper released and then you can use that to follow up and go on. And, and it, it, to me, it seemed like such a culmination of so many silly, trivial things. But ultimately, it did lead to me, unfortunately, being clinically depressed. Um, so I actually, Monica phoned me one evening and she was like, look, what's up? I was like, I, 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 I don't know. I've never felt this way. I've never felt it. It's no stress. You know, I'd spent 18 years working in kitchens. I knew what stress felt like. Um, but I never felt anything like this in terms of mentally or what I could do or how I could get over it. Um, so I was due to go back and do my fourth year. And I went and spoke to, like, the student support. Told her I was leaving uni. Told her how I was feeling. And, and she, she says to me, she says, look, you, you're suffering badly with depression here. Um, she mm -hmm. says, really badly, she says, to a point where I need to get you to go and see a counsellor. Um, and I was like, no, I can't be depressed. What have I got to be depressed about? You know, I, I, there's folk that are worse for me. And she's like, yeah, I get that, that, you you know, that, that's something that people do, do challenges, that there is somebody worse for you. But at the same time, it's your mind, it's your problem, it's your issues, mm -hmm. regardless of how small or insignificant it is, it's your personal thing. And with the mind being such a complex thing, you never fully know how to handle or deal with something. You think you do. I thought I'd seen everything in life and I thought I had experienced everything in life and I'd handled it until this happened and I realised, you know what, I'm no, I'm no as secure in my own mindset as I thought I was. Yeah. Um, so it was a, yeah, it was, it was, it was difficult to kind of accept. And then I'm thinking, you know what, I'm a failure because I shouldn't be this way. Um, and there's people that are a lot worse off than I am and dealing with far greater things than I am. So I'm, I'm failing, I'm failing at life. I'm failing not only people that have, have kind of put this pressure on me academically, like professors and doctors. I'm failing them, I'm failing myself, I'm failing my family, I'm failing my friends, I'm failing young people I'm working with because I'm there trying to tell them, you know what, you can... You can overcome anything, but really, I'm failing at everything, um, and it, and it was it was grim. Um, so I did go and see a counsellor, um, which I find to be somewhat condescending. So I decided not to go back. Yeah, I had a few sessions with her, but I found that yeah, I didn't I didn't enjoy it. I didn't enjoy it at all. I found it incredibly incredibly condescending. Um, so I spoke to Sharon told her what I was going through, told her that I had kind of been diagnosed. Excuse me. She was brilliant. She, she's a big advocate of if staff need 
help in terms of mindfulness or well-being or mental health. As we young people, children, families, she will, she will try her best to reach out to people who can, can offer help and support. So I spoke to Sharon, decided to, rather than leave uni, I took a, a year off. So I was working more hours and I was kind of feeling better. And then um, and, uh, in 2018, it was actually the 5th of June, um, I was still having good days and bad days and good moments and, and terrible moments, but I just, I was in a, a serious funk, like properly. Um, I'd been working, I came home, had my dinner, just wasn't right. Um, and I said to Monica and Connor, I says, look, I'm going out for a drive. And I went out and uh, I, told you I, had, I had no intention of actually coming back. I'd planned to go and, um, yeah, take my own life. Um, so I'd, I'd left here and I drove and uh, I stopped off at a service station in Cumbernauld and I got a, a, a £3 Tesco meal deal. So it was a sandwich, a bottle of juice and a packet of crisps because I just felt really hungry. Yeah. And uh, I drove to Calendar and I sat at Loch Lumnig for a while until it was getting darker. Uh, I just sat in the car listening to music um, I'd sent a message to Connor, eh, Monica and I'd sent a message to my parents and I switched my phone off um, and then I drove so there's a, a place near Aberfoyle called the Three Lock Drive yeah. um, and it's gated so after 5pm there's actually a gate that, that gets closed over and you need a code to go in so I drove up, I had the code because we sometimes go up and we used to camp mm -hmm. there, um, I put the code in and I drove and I drove to a spot where um, I thought maybe they'll find me. Um, and I'd actually planned to, to, to drive my car into the lock. Um, and then I thought, even then, if I have a realisation that I'm doing something wrong with the weight of the water getting into the car, I wouldn't be able to get out. Yeah. Um, and then out in, so I ate the sandwich, I drank the juice and I ate the crisps. And then out in nowhere, this random guy, when I say random, he's the most random looking guy I've ever met in my life. Um, he looked like, um, he looked a bit like Zach... Galifianakis, you know, the, the actor in The Hangover with the curly hair and the glasses and yeah. the beard. Yeah, it, yeah, yeah. it resembled him greatly. So anyway, chaps on the window and he had a pair of grey sweatpants on. He had an old like 1990s Rangers t-shirt and a kind of ready zip-up hoodie. Yeah. And he's like, you alright? And I was like, yeah, I'm cool. Um, and he's like, what are you up here for? I says, oh, I'm camping. And he's like, Mon, I'll give you a hand to, to pitch your tent. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, no, no, it's all right, mate. And he's like, oh, I'll give you a hand. And he started speaking to me and he spoke to me. He spoke to me. I didn't actually speak to him. He spoke to me for about three hours, just sitting. Um, and I used to smoke, but I stopped. And he was like, do you want a cigarette? And I'm like, yeah, cool. And I smoked a couple of cigarettes with him. And he just spoke to me about the most random stuff. Yeah. And he... And then he's like, oh, is that the time? I better get back out of my tent. He's like, you, you know, better off getting home to your family. And I was kind of like, yeah, you know what? Maybe I should. Um, so I jumped in the car and I drove back down the road. And it's like normally it's like maybe a 50 minute to an hour car journey. And it felt like it took minutes. I just, I can't even remember driving back. And then I, when I came off um, at Rob Royston and I stopped in Black Hill and I just sat and I, I I don't know, I just, I felt numb, I felt numb, eh? void of all senses, I just didn't know, I didn't know what I'd done, I knew what I'd done, I knew what I'd planned on doing, but it was, it was one of those moments where it was like, how how could I have 
done this to my family? How could I have done this to the people I love, the people that care for me, the people that I know will support me through anything will always be there. Even when I, when I feel like I'm the, the most horrible person in the world, yeah. they will still support me. Mm-hmm. And I ended up coming back to the flat and when I pulled up, there was a police car outside um, and I, I just started crying. I just sat in the car and started crying. And then I came up and when I came in, yeah, there was two policemen sitting. Monica had already contacted the police as a missing person. Yeah. Um, and then the police asked me to go into the bedroom to speak to them and I went in and again, I just broke out crying. Just, yeah. just couldn't, couldn't, you know, and it's, it's kind of, I look back at it and see, because I do do some writing, I, I'm kind of in the process of writing a story called A Packet of Crisp Bottle of Juice and a Three Pound Sandwich because if it wasn't for that that three pound meal deal, I honestly don't yeah. know if I'd be here speaking to you now. Um, and with that in mind, it's kind of made me realise how how vulnerable we are as humans. No matter yeah. what anybody's dealing with, no matter what anybody's going with, no no matter how big a problem is or how trivial a problem is, it can affect people in so many different ways. And how vulnerable we are to to the kind of self-destruction that we are capable of. Yeah. Um, so it's it's not exactly the most cheerful story, but it has got, a, you know, a, a happy ending in the sense that I'm still here. You're still here. And yeah. there's probably lots of people that have been through something similar or it's there's been more thoughts in their mind than they would ever care to admit. Yeah, um, definitely. And because I know this is... Suicide Awareness Month, September. Yeah. Um, so as people, we need to break the taboo of it. Yeah. I mean, I, I know um, my cousin, my second cousin took his own life. Um, one of the girls that I worked with in Greece took her own life. And then three other people who are yoga teachers, which yeah. you go, oh, yoga teachers, you're all calm and serene. But I know three that have taken, that have chosen to take their own path and you're like wow you just you never know what's what's happening this is it i mean no matter how how mentally strong you think someone is it's like unfortunately um one of my best friends his cousin took his own life Hmm. and he was had everything going for him you know had a fantastic job beautiful home beautiful family I know somebody that you would think of, what's going on? Um, yeah. And then he, he unfortunately was at a point where he, he couldn't handle it. He, he, he went and he took his own life. Um, yeah. And this is what I say to everybody. It's like, don't judge, don't judge anybody based on how they're acting. And, it's, you know, the, the people don't even need to be down or showing signs. You know, it, it can be the complete opposite. You can, yeah. somebody you think might... Be, might have changed in their demeanour and their personality and their character and you think oh they're, they're on their way out, they're doing well mm-hmm. maybe the realisation that they're actually comfortable in the fact that they're going to be dying soon Yeah. so yeah. they are happy, they are jovial not because mm-hmm. they've turned their life around because they think you know what I'm actually I'm comfortable at the fact that in a week I'm going to kill myself Yeah. Um, so again it's it's all the signs and all the wee things that you need to be aware of. Um, but even when all that was done, I still couldn't come to terms with, I, again, I almost felt, you know, it was like selfish um, because some of, some of my friends have endured horrific things. Um, 
one of my best friends, unfortunately, his his partner passed away. Um, he, they, you know, he's he's left with two young daughters. Another friend of mine, um, she unfortunately her her child passed away as well. And it's like I was actually speaking to to my friend. I was like, you know, I feel bad because given what I'm dealing with and, and kind of how it's came to me and what you're going through and your family's going through, I says, I almost feel selfish, you know, because mine's is something that I kind of, not brought on myself, but I did at one point have some control over. Mm-hmm. And her exact words to me was like, you know, your shit is your shit. Exactly. Yeah. And that's what matters. You, you can't look at what anybody else is kind of going through and go, you know, they're, they're worse off for me because they might be dealing with the, the larger problem easier than I am or someone else is dealing with what might seem as a smaller trivial problem because it's, it's, it's based on your mind. Yeah. Um, and that is something that I live by. Even when I'm speaking to young people, it's like whatever you're dealing with, whatever you're fighting, whatever you're battling is yours, it's personal to you. And you need to ensure that you give yourself as much time, effort, attention, as care as you would your friend or your colleague who you feel is fighting something bigger. You know, it's, 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 and in that sense, you should be selfish because yeah. you, if, if you don't do something in order to help you, no fix. I, I don't like when people say, oh, we need to fix you because it's not something that needs fixed, that needs realigned or it needs reworked mm. or we need to look at a way to, to even kind of slightly reprogram, but no fix. Yeah. Because no one will ever be truly fixed. It's not a broken bone. It's not a cut. You can't just stitch it up. So this is what I try and get through to the young people is I love the fact that you want to try and help other people and you want to be there to support. But what about you? Who helps you when you need it? And who will help you when you need it? You know what I mean? So as much as we are in this, everyone's in this battle to ensure that suicide prevention is, is out there. People are aware that suicide can happen to anybody. Mm-hmm. We still need to be somewhat selfish and focus on ourselves, you know what I mean? And yeah. our own self-love and and ensure that we, 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 we know that we are worthwhile being on this planet, you know? And and that's Absolutely. that's the one thing that I think a lot of people forget is you do need to love yourself. And, and if you can start unconditionally loving yourself and helping yourself and then you can help others until you know where you are or kind of understand what works for you then you can't truly help or support other people and that that in itself takes a lot of time and a lot of pain and some suffering but it is worthwhile it is worth it in the end and a lot of trying different things because what works for you when you're a teenager might not work in your 20s might not work in your 30s might not work in your 40s so it's looking for different ways and always changing and not comparing yourself to other people yeah whether it's they're positive or they're negative, you can't compare yourself to other people. And I remember, I think it was Brene Brown said that if everybody put their problems into the centre of the room and you got to choose anyone, you would take all your own problems back. Yeah. <laughs> You'd be like, oh, right, you keep, you keep that one. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> it. Definitely. Um, and, and it's, again, especially working with young people, is the there is more awareness out there in terms of you know mental health and and mental health support and awareness and and mindfulness. I mean even even mindfulness. I love the mindfulness and I love what mindfulness can do. Um, but even in schools, like I've I've engaged conversations with 
other youth workers and people in the education system and even mindfulness in schools now is becoming somewhat neoliberal because teachers are saying to young people, you know, mindfulness is beneficial to you to discover who you are and what you're about, where you want to go and it can help you. They're saying, well, if you, if you don't practice mindfulness, you can't pass an exam properly or you'll not learn as you need to. So a lot of young people are being turned away from mindfulness because they still see it as, if I don't practice mindfulness or self-awareness or self-love, I'm not going to pass an exam or a test, so I need to do it rather than wanting to do it to understand why. Um, so I love that schools are introducing mindfulness and mindfulness sessions and they're giving them areas where they can go and reflect and, and do many different things, but it's still this whole idea of institutionalization through schooling, you know? And this is something that annoys me, it really does, because mindfulness in itself is an incredibly powerful tool. But mindfulness should also be something that you choose to do because you feel like you can and you, you, you know enough about it and you know what you're trying to discover is ultimately you and your place and where you can go. Not just because a teacher's saying, well, if you didn't go to a mindfulness session, you'll not pass your exams. You know, again, it's adding pressure to them that they don't need, they, they don't need to have it. And just it's another, another thing to do. Aye, that's it. Um, and it, it's, so it's crazy. Has, has mindfulness been one of your main tools since um, your attempt? I'd say so, yeah. Um, I, I look at self-reflection a lot and mindfulness um, just through trying to kind of reconnect, so to speak, to, to, to who I am. Um, again, because it's something that I had, I had never really truly experienced. You know, I had, I had moments where I was down, and uh, even in my point in 2008, but I kind of knew that there was a fix. My fix was my, my personal life, my personal situation. Yeah. Not so much where I was, but it was a fact I didn't really have anywhere to go. I felt like I was just in, in a moment. I knew what I needed to do to get better, and I did. For the last, this, that, well, the past three, three, nearly four years, um, I, I, I know that it's, it's, there's not one thing that can help me or fix me or make me better, that comes down to me and that comes down to how much I'm willing to put in in order to reach a point where I can kind of go, you know what, I'm not over it, but I am a lot better and I feel more empowered as a person to, to, to go on and do more. I'm still having that battle. I still have my days where I think, you know what, I, I, I can't handle this, but then I, I look at I, I look at the kind of the aftermath of what happened when I didn't go through it. Yeah. So I could I couldn't imagine what would be left if I did. So I'm very aware of that. I'm very conscious that I'm still here. I will have horrendous days. Yeah. But I then need to be thankful for the really good days. You know, even like the wee thing, like when we took took our son to school for his first day, it was reflecting on that. I thought I wouldn't have been here. You know, I don't even know if my son would have been going to that school. I, maybe Monica and Connor would have moved to Poland. Mm. Maybe they'd have moved somewhere completely different. I don't know. So it's, it's reflecting in terms of the mindfulness. It is kind of looking at alternatives. You know, what can I do for myself? You know, no, who who am I almost, and where am I? I'm in a I'm I'm in a different position in my life than I was five six years ago, mm -hmm. and I'm hoping that in five six years I'm in a different position to what I am now. So yeah. this is where I'm I'm finding like mindfulness and 
and looking at different pathways and alternatives to, to try and help myself. Um, I, I, I did, in December, I did look to, to get medication and I was actually mm-hmm. prescribed uh, sertraline. And in the end, I didn't take them um, because I'm a big believer that I, I want to be in control of my own thoughts. I want to be in control of my own mind and I want to be in control of my own feelings. And no matter how, how dark... Oh, you just frozen there. Oh. Hello? Oh, hold on a wee second. Right, you just frozen. Right, I think you're back now. Back. Right, that cool. just... Hold on, am I recording? Hold on, I thought I pressed pause on record there, but I don't know that I did. Recording. There's always a wee technical glitch somewhere. Yeah. Wouldn't there be, be anything if there was any technical difficulties? Yeah, so you kind of froze there when you were saying that you wanted to be in charge of the thoughts, whether they were dark thoughts or not. Yeah, um, yeah. it was just because I, I felt that if I'd take medication, then it's almost it's almost blanketing things. Um, and then when it got to the point where I would maybe come off of medication, I don't know how it would be. And I don't know how I would get through that period. So in the end, I decided not to. And that was when I looked at doing a lot of different things um, to, to try and help. Um, and uh, yeah, there's days where it's, it's terrible. But at least I know that I have got some control. You know what I mean? It may not be much, but I, I'm still I'm still functioning as best I can. And that, that's what I can do. I'm functioning with it being numbed without my thoughts being being conceived by a tablet that, that numbs the senses and mm-hmm. you know I thought no you know what they're still sitting in the kitchen um and and they will remain there um so yeah it's, it's just different finding different ways um to get through it yeah yeah and do you speak about this to the kids in, in yeah. the youth groups yeah, um, I am. I am open. No, to the point where I told them um, what happened, and in, in terms of me going away, but I am open. But because um, one of the big things that you often hear as well, you, you you don't know how it is. You don't know how it feels. You know what I mean? If if I if I maybe read something and I'm speaking to something about a statistic or you know a process or an outlook, you you'll hear. Oh, I've heard it often. Like, well, you don't know. You're just you're just regurgitating something you've read. So I've actually got lived experience. You know, I love it every day. Yeah. And I'm not telling you that what works for me will work for you, because again, everybody's different. Everybody's mind is different. Could be could be doing something completely different from what I do, or approaching a different method. It could be running, it could be reading, it could be writing. You know, right to recovery is great as well. But at least if they know that I can empathise with them on a personal level, yeah, you find you get a better response. Um, and that's not just me. That's something that that the majority of the, the team at Royce New Action are open, no too open. You know what I mean? Because you still need that professional personal balance mm-hmm. but in terms of mental health i'm i'm quite open um yeah. and i find that the response you get is is better um because you're not just telling them 
what they want to hear. You're kind of telling them what they need to hear to know that, yeah, you know what, I'm, I'm, I'm living it. Um, mm -hmm. And I won't trivialize what you're going through. I won't judge when you speak to me. You know, I'm, it could be anything like, oh man, I snapped my shoelace this morning and it's like my favorite pair of shoelaces and it's like, cool, let's, let's, you know, let's work our way around that. Yeah. You know, you can't trivialize, you can't judge, you, you can't, you need to take everything um, and, and respect everything that a young person tells you. Um, and then it's a case of making them aware that, you know what, we are not going through this alone. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. we, will, we will work with you in any way that we can. Even if it's like, you know what, I think yoga would help. Cool, let's see if we can organize a yoga session. You know, I, I, I want to punch something to get my frustrations out. Right, let's see, excuse me, see if we can get a punching bag. You know what I mean? You, you, you need to work with them in any way that you can. And that was kind of how the, the sorry on you go, Jen. No, no, I was just going to say quite often when somebody snaps about something like a shoelace breaking, it's never about that incident that just happened. Yeah. It's about the build up of the build up everything else that's going on in the background. Yeah, and that's that's yeah. the spark, that's the catalyst for yeah. for everything else. Um yeah. and that was kind of how the boys health group came about because there was an increase in um Awareness in males' mental health, you know, try to get rid of toxic masculinity, get men to open up. In order to get men to fully open up, you need to start at the grassroots, which yeah. a lot of mental health starts in teenage years. It's yeah. not until they get older that they realise, you know what, I've actually, I'm, I'm battling something here, and then at which point it's maybe too late. So with the boys' health group, we, we don't focus solely on mental health. We look at everything, you know, we, we whether it be career prospects, alternative pathways, physical health, mental health, but it's also trying to break down the kind of toxic masculinity that comes with living in the west coast of Scotland, especially an area that is regarded as one of the tougher parts of Glasgow. Yeah. You know, if you look back at the history of Glasgow, it is, it's like the no-mean city thing, you know, target situation. Mm -hmm. um, so it's making them realise that what worked two generations ago isn't necessarily going to work now. I'm not expecting you to, to openly cry in front of me, but I am. I would like you to think that if you do want to cry, it's perfectly normal, you know, and it's something that small. Um, and that's that's why we, we kind of thought, okay, we do the girls' health group and the boys' health group. And even even like male body shaming, you know, it's it's, it's, it's more apparent that, that women are uh, social media, um, social media is an incredibly powerful tool, but at the same time, it's oh, it's, it's it's terrible. Um, and girls, women, do tend to be judged more than men. However, it does happen with men. You know, mm -hmm. um, young guys maybe follow somebody on Instagram or Snapchat or TikTok, and it's like if you've not got a six pack in muscles, then you can't be considered a man. No, everybody's going to have six pack in and big muscles yeah. but a lot of guys will go to any means necessary whether that be starving themselves whether that be finding themselves full of these meal shakes whether it's taking taking weight loss tablets which is pretty much an amphetamine to yeah. try and and it, it does happen unfortunately so again it's, it's getting through to them you know be, be comfortable in who you are be proud of who you are if we can all work harder to have a better body I mean I'm I'm, I'm the Adonis you know what I mean and I'm, I'm under no 
false intentions that I am perfect. But at the same time, I'm comfortable in who I am. I know I could be better, but I'm comfortable. Um, I'm still active, still play sports. I still do a lot of things, even yeah. though I am regarded as an obese guy. So it's, it's just discovering that you can be comfortable. You don't need the muscles. You don't need a six pack. You don't need a chiseled jawline. You know, you don't need a perfect haircut. Yeah. You can be happy with who you are as long as you, you embrace who you are and you're proud of who you are. So I know this again ties in with the mental health, you know, positive mental health. If, if you can love even one thing, I'd done a session um, with some of the guys and it was, you know, what do you love most about yourself? Um, and it's like, I don't love anything about myself. It's like, you must love something, you know. Oh, it doesn't need to be a physical asset. It can be anything. And it's like, oh, I love the fact that I'm good at drawing. Well, there we go, man, you know. Be a great drawer. And and a few of the guys are like, oh, man, I love my legs. I love my, my shoulders. It's like, that's cool. Love them. But don't you think that that defines you as a person? Yeah. More to you than just an aesthetic. Yeah. Yeah. And then it's the same for for the guys that are on these magazine covers and are in social media. Most of them, like the women do, put filters yeah. on it or Photoshop it or they only look like that for the photograph and then afterwards they've got a wee bit of a puffy tummy or it's the lighting or it's the way they've done their fake tan or whatever. And it's that we have to educate men about what we've been getting educated Definitely. at about as women for a long time. It's like, no, this is now crossing over to men, so the, you guys need to be aware of this because right. we've been dealing with it for years and it still hasn't changed. <laughs> no, totally. And, and then again, it's, it's also, it, it's like the whole social media thing as well where, you know, people are having millions and millions of followers and the outreach that some of these people have got is ridiculous, you know, and they could be doing yeah. some powerful stuff, but because of sponsorships or money they get, they're not allowed to. They couldn't post a picture of them like, this is me after eating a cheeseburger, look, I've got a gut. Or this is me yeah. sitting drinking a two-litre bottle of Iron Brew. Mm -hmm. They need to be pristine because they're being sponsored. They could go, you know what, yeah, the sponsorship's great. It's bringing me a lot of money, but I want to be a bit more real. I want to get mm -hmm. across. So it's, it's making them aware as well that, exactly as you say, what you see on social media isn't always real. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know what I mean? It is filtered, it is touched up, it is edited, it's the lighting, it's the toners, it's, it's an abundance of ways to, to kind of make yourself look better. And yeah, hopefully that the, the work that we're kind of doing is, is educating them and, and making them see that, yeah, you, you, everybody's got flaws, everybody's yeah. got insecurities, but you, you, can, you can still be a beautiful person and you can make a massive difference in the world. Um, and do amazing things. Yeah. I think ultimately it's what we try and get through them. You know? yeah. um, when you've got that beauty coming from within and it's in your personality, then everything else about you just shines. Right. Like, well, definitely. And it's, it's, you're being true to yourself, but you're also being true to others. Um, and I think if you, if you are, again, come back to this whole, if, if you're truly comfortable with yourself, then yeah. you can radiate so much more and yeah. you know you can you can make people realize that that you know you're a beautiful person you're a beautiful human being um yeah. you, you can do amazing things you and even things. yeah and that's i, I think it's, it's something that we, we kind of lose track of um 
you know, just hopefully hopefully we can educate a new generation. And, and this is like with the young people that I work with, as I tell them always, it's people always say, oh, they're the next generation. They're not, they're the current generation. Yeah. It's they, it's this group of young people, not just the ones that, that we have the pleasure of working with, but all across, they're the ones who are going to be educating the next generation. You know, yeah. but, so it's, it's none of this, or you are the next generation, or you are the current generation, you are the now, you are the ones that are going to hopefully break even more barriers and, and break more more stigmas and, and, and smash walls down for the next generation so that they're kind of more educated and more aware and, and, and recognise social injustice and social inequality and they can start making a stamp on it now rather than waiting. So... Um, That's another big thing that we are we are kind of pride ourselves on is is that awareness. That and they're can. creating that ripple effect within yep. their peers, like so people that don't have the opportunity to come and have actual contact with you, they've got contact with them within their own communities out with the youth club when they're in yeah. school, when they're in the town, when they're just in life dealing with yeah. other people they're, they're setting that example and other people will are always watching like they're yeah. always watching what people are doing and leading from that example no definitely and then then it comes down to like the peer mentoring thing as well mm. taking the younger ones and showing them even learning from previous ones mistakes and and, and it's just hopefully as you say it ripples on it, it passes on and it can continue to, to, to go and go and go and um, yeah, as long as like I know Royce Youth Action and other organisations are still there, then we'll continue to 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 promote and you know shout we we great pride loudly as we can about the amazing stuff that young people are capable of and 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 what what they what they've still you know the potential they still got to reach and and how they can get out there and make a massive massive difference already are but they just yeah. need to to get that wee bit more recognition. Yeah, um, yeah, and yeah, be, be amazing. I know. So, yeah. so where's the where's the best place for people to check out what Royston <coughs> Royston Youth Actions up to? Yeah, um, social media. We we are yeah. we are big on our social media. Um, we, yeah. We're always posting. You know, even even if it's just a wee inspirational morning quote, um, yeah. just to, to make people know that you know they're not alone. We're always here. So, um, your social media platforms are Facebook. Yeah. Um, which is, if you just bear with me, um, so Facebook, which youth action is just Roy Youth Action. Yeah. Uh, Instagram is RYA Youth Project. Yeah. And Twitter, I'm I'm known I'm on Twitter, but I don't know how to use it, so. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm no, I'm not that big on Twitter. Like Sharns, Sharns like think, Twitter queen. I think the Twitter one is the RYA Youth, RYA Youth, Youth Club. Well. Oh, yeah, yeah, I think that's, I think that's for because I'm, I'm, I follow you and all of them. <laughs> yeah. Um, we also oh, have a website. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, we also website. have a website. Yeah, which is uh, RY, yeah, Um yeah. So you find out that's updated regularly. Also, with, with everything we're doing. Um, different clubs. Um, I also add as well, like Royce Youth Action doesn't just work with young people. We, we our, our age group is from primary one right up until 25. Yep. So we do amazing work with children as well. Um, mm -hmm. Your children work team are, are phenomenal. 
Um, again, a lot of activities in terms of games and having fun, but they always try and incorporate some social factors in as well. Um, so yeah, the, the, working with the children up until primary seven and then for, for first year until, well, legally in Scotland, a young person is from 12 to 25, right up. So we don't just work with young people, we work with, with children. We do a lot of work in the community as well. Um, we, we, we a lot of the, the older ones. Um, we are looking at starting another intergenerational project as well again, but it, it depends on funding, you know what I mean? Um, as that's your biggest, biggest factor is funding. If, so if there's any millionaires listening that, that, that want to like throw a, a couple of million quid away, even a couple of hundred thousand, um, yeah. or even a thousand, just anything, um, because we do rely heavily on, on, on our funders and fundraising as well. Um, yeah, they say the children do beautiful work with, the, with, the, with the, the primary ones to primary seven, and it's not just about giving them a place to go after school, it's about trying to get them involved in, in social activism, I suppose, make them aware of what they can do and how they can do it and and the children are involved in the 12 months 12 eyes kindness project as well yeah yeah so it's it's just that continuation um of, of getting children and then they become amazing young people who then can go into the world as fantastic adults and and yeah. radicalize the the negativities in the world that's the, yeah. the ultimate plan and goal so yeah yeah We'll Amazing. Fight. Yeah. Anything else you want to say before we wrap up? Um, no, really. Thank you for the opportunity to speak. Sorry if I if I kind of rabbit on a bit. Yeah. Um, no, I just yeah. Uh, keep trying to make a difference in the world. If anybody's listening and they, they feel that they, they're incapable of doing something, it's it's a load of rubbish. Everybody's capable of amazing things. Um, you just need to to kind of discover what you can do, um, and just keep fighting a good fight. You know, yeah. um, don't judge. Support people. Be kind. Kindness matters. And uh, yeah, let's try and make the world, or at least our world, the world we live in daily, a better place for everybody. Yeah. Um, yeah. And that's pretty much about it. Amazing. I, I mean, I'll just. One one last wee thing before before I, I say thank you and let you go. Um, the guy who came and spoke to you for three hours. Yeah. He he. Do you have any idea who he was? Um, thank you so much. If <laughs> if you do so, I, I never even like Zach Galifianakis, and you've got. <laughs> yeah. What's that? Sorry. You you froze there a bit, Jen. Oh yeah yeah. If it looks like Zach. What's your name, Zach Killer? Zach Galifianakis for the hangover. Zach Galifianakis. And um, <laughs> to have a, a really haggard 1990s Ranger strip, a pair of grey sweat <laughs> pants, and you were at um, the Three Lock Trail in Aberfoyle on the 5th of June 2018. And then um, you get in touch. It'd be cool yeah. to, to maybe catch up with you and, and have a proper conversation. Um, and I'd like to say thank you as well. Yeah. Um, you're a truly remarkable human being. You're the angel showing you compassion and kindness. And he may or may not have had any idea. No. It might just have been one of those gut instinct things of I need to go and talk to this person. Yeah, but that's it. We've all we've all got the capacity to to do that. Um, Even even just saying to somebody or or how are you? You know, good morning. Yeah. 
kindness. Kindness is a, an incredibly powerful tool. Yeah. Um, and it, and it can make such a massive difference. Yeah. And uh, yeah, we just let's try and try and Be stop kindness. making people feel that if they've, if they've got um, kindness is a wonderful thing. Um, just stop stop judging people, and and stop what are going through. Don't judge. If somebody comes to you to speak to you, then they're coming to you because they trust you. It's because they they want to, um, and sometimes they need to. So just listen, listen without judgment. Yeah. 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 That's awesome. About it. Thank you so Thank very you much, so Jim. Thank uh, you. My pleasure. I hope. Uh, I hope. Yeah. Hope. Hope people listen. I don't know. Yeah. We'll see. Be well. Cool. Well, thank you so much again, Paul. So what did you think of that? Such a powerful story. I am so grateful for Mark for opening up and sharing his experience. And that guy that came and had that three-hour conversation with him, he must have known something was up. He must have known in his gut that he just needed to be there and to do something. So if you are familiar with the description of that man and you have any idea who he could be, then please reach out to him and tell him the wonderful thing that he did without even knowing that he did it. And Mark commented at the end about medication and how he had got a prescription for it and chose not to take it. For some people, medication is a lifesaver. But you have to decide for yourself. You need to think what is the best way for you to deal with it. And it may be taking the medication, it may be not taking the medication, it may be going down another path. But if you're in a dark place or even if the place hasn't got dark yet but the light is starting to dim, reach out and speak to somebody. There are so many of us out here with ears willing to to help where we can, to just be an ear to listen to. So please, please, please do not suffer in silence. Reach out and speak to somebody. Thanks for listening and remember to leave a review and subscribe over on iTunes or SoundCloud. And check out what's going on at IamJenWilson.com or head over to Instagram and give us a follow, just following IAM.JenWilson.